Today's scripture reading is Ephesians verse, chapter 2, verse 11. One in Christ. Therefore remember that all at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace for you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the one spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. Good morning again, everyone. I feel like I've said that like five times today because I'm just up here. (laughs) Um, But I want to start today with a question for you. What comes to your mind when you think about church? Do any of you think of a building? You don't have to put your hands up. Just think to yourself. Do you think of a building? I think in the States or many overseas countries, that might be more common, probably less so in Hong Kong. But many people, when they think of church, they think of a building. How about this? Do you think of a weekly event that we attend on Sunday mornings that involves some singing, some praying, someone getting up and talking about the Bible? Do you think of the people when you think about church? Do you think about something else? And if you think about the ideal church community, what does that look like? Is it a place where you're judged for all your failures and shortcomings? Or is it a place of radical acceptance? Is it a place where you have to hide or a place where you can be fully known? Your ideal church community, is it a place of safety that you look forward to being? Or is it a place of fear and danger that you feel afraid of and and want to avoid? These past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians together on Sunday mornings, and we've been talking about all the blessings that God has given to Christians in Jesus. We've seen how he took us who were spiritually dead people, and he made us alive, and he has put us in this place of honor and authority, all as a free gift, just because he wants to show off his kindness and generosity by blessing us. Isn't that amazing? And today... Paul is going to start talking about how God's amazing work of salvation impacts not only our relationship with him, but also our relationships with one another 
within the church. And Paul is going to paint a beautiful picture of the church, not a building, not a weekly event, but a community of people who love one another because God first loved them and they love God and they love one another because of that. And when Paul describes what the church is supposed to be, he describes a place of peace, a place of acceptance, a place of friendship, no hostility, a place of family and unity. He describes a community that I think all of us would look at and say, I really want that in my life. And yet my guess is, sadly, that for many of us, we've never experienced that as a reality in our lives. So today we're going to look at this beautiful picture that Paul paints of what the church is meant to be. And what we're going to see is that peace with God requires unity in the church. Peace with God requires unity in the church. And we're going to see what could this look like, what keeps us from it, and how do we get it. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us and for teaching us who you are, what you've done for us, how you want us to live in response to that. I pray that you would speak to us today and show us what you want us as a community to be like. And I pray that you would make us that kind of community through your spirit working in us and among us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So the logic of today's passage is actually quite simple. He's saying humans were divided. We saw last week that we were divided from God. But here we see that our division from God also brings division from one another. And what Paul is saying is that when Jesus came and gave us access to a relationship with God, he also tore down the barriers and walls that keep us from one another and brought us close to one another. If you think about this physically, it makes lots of sense. Can I get two of the teens to volunteer for something? Daniel and Charlotte. All right. I need one of you to stand right here and one of you to stand way over there. All right. So they're going to be far apart. And guess what? We're going to put some barriers between them. Object lessons. All right, we got, we got two people. They're far apart. They have barriers between them. And what happens if they both start walking towards me? Watch this. Okay, you've got your barrier. You've got to keep walking towards me. Look at that. One barrier between them just got removed. <laughs> Another barrier between them just got removed. And look. They're getting closer, not only to me, but also to one another. This is the picture that Paul is painting in this passage. He's saying, we as humans, we're far off from one another. We have barriers between us. God brings us close to him. And as that happens, we have to get rid of those barriers between us if we're getting to God. And every step we take towards God brings us closer to one another as well. Everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you, Daniel and Charlotte. Sorry for embarrassing you. You can leave the barriers. But that's, that's the logic of this passage. If we've all been brought near to the same God through Jesus, we've all been brought near to other Christians through Jesus. It's a quite simple concept as an idea, but in practice, it has some huge real-world implications. A relationship with God requires relationships with other Christians. And Paul, in this passage, he talks about one specific type of barrier that Jesus has torn down, and it's the ethnic barrier. 
Now, Paul isn't talking about the ethnic barrier because he's saying this is the only barrier that Jesus tears down. No, he's saying that because the ethnic barrier was the absolute biggest barrier that existed in their days. The logic is if God can get rid of this barrier, there's no barrier that can stand up to Jesus. I mean, let me share a little bit with you about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles back in Paul's day, right? Like Jews and Gentiles, which is all non-Jews, including me and probably you, they did not mix. There was a widespread belief among Jews that the only reason Gentiles existed, anyone have a guess? Widespread belief among Jews, the only reason Gentiles existed was to fuel the fires of hell. Does that make you feel loved if someone sees you that way? No, not really? If a, if a Gentile mom was in the process of giving birth and she needed help, Jewish people were banned from helping her because by helping her, you're helping bring another Gentile life into the world, and that's not a good thing. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, that Jewish family would hold a funeral for their child. They were saying, our child is dead to us because they married someone who's not like us ethnically. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to go worship God at the temple, you could go up to a certain point and then there was a wall and there was a sign on the wall and it said, if you are a Gentile and you cross this line, you have no one to blame but yourself for your death. Jews and Gentiles did not mix. The relationships between Jews and Gentiles were filled with enmity and contempt and hatred. Paul isn't saying this is the only wall Jesus tears down. He's saying, if Jesus can tear down even this wall, there's no other wall that can stand against what he has done. If this wall comes down, every wall needs to come down. And if that's true, that has huge implications for what it means for us to be the church. I don't know if you've realized this lately, our world is full of walls and barriers that keep us from one another. Like the ethnic barrier, it's still a big thing in our world. It's not the only thing, but it's still a big thing that keeps people apart, makes us look down on others. But there are so many others. And just think about all the things that keep us from connecting with and loving one another. Socioeconomic differences. One person has more money, one person has less, can't connect. Language barriers that keep us apart. Cultural differences, even if you're part of the same ethnic group, just having different cultural preferences or cultural backgrounds. Political differences, oh, we've seen across the world how political differences just divide entire nations and families. Age, like, can we be honest for a second? Adults, when was the last time you had a good, solid conversation with one of our teens in the church? They're scary, aren't they? Teens are scary just because of their age, not because of anything else about them. Teens, if you don't know this, teens, you are intimidating to adults. The fact that, that your age starts with a one and ends with a three through nine, but 11 and 12 year olds, you're still getting there, scary. Teens intimidate adults. We look at teens and we're like, I cannot connect with them because of the age difference. And it goes both ways, right? Adults are scary to teens. And so we look at the age differences. That person's too old. That person's too young. We can't connect. We have so many barriers that keep us apart from one another. Anything about someone else that's different 
that sets us apart from them, it can become a barrier, a wall that creates division and keeps us apart from them. And if you have most things in common with someone and like one thing different, we can usually overcome that difference. But the more things we have different from someone else, the harder it is to connect with them or to want to connect with them or even to believe that being able to connect with them could be possible. I mean, just take a second and look around the room. Do you see anyone you struggle to connect with because you know they have more or less money than you do? Do you see anyone that you struggle to connect with because you know their political views are different than yours and that just makes it awkward? Do you see anyone who it's hard to connect with because they're so old or so young? This isn't just an abstract theory out there. This is something that happens in the church, in our own hearts. It's hard to connect with people. But Paul is giving us a grand vision for the church. Not just that we'd be willing to come sit in the same room for a couple hours every week. Not even that we'd smile when we see one another. Not even that we'd just learn each other's names. Paul's vision is that the church would be a family that functions as a new kind of humanity. He's saying that Jesus, when he came and rescued us, he brought us a new way to be human. And the church's job, if we truly understand what it means to be the church, is to live out this new way of being human in the world so everyone around us can see how beautiful it is and want to live that way too. The job of the church is to be so deeply connected with one another, so sacrificially loving of one another, that whenever someone sees that love among us, they'd say, I want that. That we'd be so connected in love that, that God who is love can live among us. That, that the space between us would be space where God's presence and God's love is the glue that holds us together. That's Paul's vision for the church right here. So what does that look like in practice? It means being so strongly united with one another that we can look at one another and say, genuinely meaning it, we together, not just me individually, but we together form a new kind of humanity. To say we together are, in Paul's words right here, being built together into a dwelling place for God, a temple where God will live among us in the middle of our relationships. Paul says that if we are Christians, we together form a new family, a new household. Think about what are the responsibilities and duties that you owe to your family? Like if your brother comes to you and he's like, I'm sick and I need money. Do you say, sucks to be you, should have planned better? No, of course not. You say, what can I do to help you? How much do you need? Because it's family. If someone in your family comes home after a long day, a hard day, and they're like, can I just talk to you for a minute? Do you go, I don't care about your issues, leave me alone. No, they're family, you wanna, you wanna listen, you wanna know what's going on. If you yourself have issues and you need help, who are the first people you turn to? your family. And Paul says, Christians are all part of the same family because we have been connected in and through Jesus. And here's what that means. Whatever responsibilities and duties we owe to our biological family, if we're Christians, we owe that to one another as well. Whatever responsibilities and duties we owe to our biological family, if we are Christians, we owe that to one another as well. We are part of the same family. 
And again, you can, I'm sure your brain is starting to run with all the implications of what that means for the real world. Like if we're Christians, to live out this reality, we need to be deeply connected in one another's lives. Not just to smile and nod and say hi when we see each other at church with people we struggle to connect with, but actually getting to know one another. To, to learn one another's joys and struggles to look out for practical ways to serve one another. Like, how do we get to that point? It's gonna take time, it's gonna take work. A great starting point is find someone in the church that you don't know very well, that you maybe struggle to connect with and invite them to eat lunch with you after church. Learn what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what makes them sad. Learn to love them as brothers and sisters. Paul's saying, even if Jesus is the only thing we have in common with one another, we have more that unites us than we do that divides us. Even if Jesus is the only thing we have in common, we have more that unites us than we do that divides us. So who from the church can you invite to get lunch with? And I know this, this idea of treating church members as family of caring for one another so deeply, it's probably shocking to us, right? It's probably scary. It's, it's something that maybe we've never thought about before, but it's scary because it's so amazing and beautiful and different than anything the world has to offer us. You know, our world has so deeply indoctrinated us to, to keep ourselves separate, to, to be free agents, to not be locked in or committed to anything. But if what Paul is saying here is true, then we can only fully live out our purpose as individuals by deeply committing to and investing in community. I mean, he, he says at the end of the passage where all Christians are connected in Jesus and being built together into a temple for God to live in. You think about that picture of a temple, a physical temple. It's built with like bricks or stones, right? Imagine that you have all these bricks lying here to build the temple. Each brick is an individual. And the builders come and grab the bricks and build them into something bigger than themselves. The bricks, they're individuals, but they're made to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I know bricks can't exercise will this way, but just imagine with me. The builder comes and he picks up a brick and he's going to put it in the wall and the brick says, no thanks, I don't wanna be part of that wall. I'd rather stay on my own. You can't make me, set me down over there. So he sets it down. By doing that, the brick, yes, it's remaining an individual, but it's completely missing out on the purpose it was made for. Bricks aren't made to just sit there on their own. They're made to be part of building beautiful buildings and walls. This brick has a chance to be part of the house of God, and it chooses to give that up for the sake of being independent, remaining a free agent. It might come over and wave at the temple wall occasionally and say hi from outside, but it's always an outsider, always wants to keep its options open. How much are you and I like that brick? Yes, we're individuals, but we're made, individuals made for a purpose. We're made to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are made to be connected to one another like bricks in a temple wall are connected to one another. To be the first ones there when someone in the church is in trouble to be willing to be inconvenienced for the good of others. Like, wouldn't it be beautiful and amazing to be part of a community like that? Where you know, like, my church family has my back. If anything goes wrong in life, I know that I can turn to them and they will be there to support me. 
Wouldn't that be great? Like to know that the Bridge Church is a place where anyone who's part of our church community is not an outsider. They have a place to belong. They have a community that they're part of that supports them and that they support. It would be beautiful, wouldn't it? And you don't need to put your hands up or anything, but just, I want to ask you, how many of you can honestly say what you're describing right now is my experience of church? That I know when I look around this room or I look at the list of members in this church, if I'm in trouble, that's the first place I'm going to turn for help. That when I'm with the people in this room or the people on our membership list, I know I always belong. I'm never excluded. I'm never judged. My guess is very few of us have that as our lived experience. And that brings us to a really important question. If this is what the church is supposed to be, this beautiful, loving community, a family that practically loves and serves one another, why are so many of us not experiencing it? What keeps us from this community? I think there are two big things we see in this passage that, that keep us from this type of community being the reality we live out in life. And both of them are discipleship issues. To be a disciple means to be a learner, someone who follows a teacher and learns to become like them. Our church mission statement says that we exist to make disciples of Jesus on Lantau Island and beyond. We want people to know Jesus, to see him as their teacher, to follow him, become like him. But Jesus isn't the only one who makes disciples. The world also makes disciples. The world teaches us how to live so we can become the people the world wants us to be. And there are two ingredients of worldly discipleship that show up here in this passage that if we follow the world's instruction rather than Jesus' way, it's going to keep us from living out this beautiful picture that Jesus has for us. And the first ingredient is division and hostility. Division and hostility. This week's passage, if you were here last week, it follows the same general flow of thought. It starts out by describing how we used to be, our former misery apart from God. And then both passages have a turning point. Last week it was, but God. This week it's, but now. And then they both describe a new reality that becomes ours when we trust in Jesus. And this week's segment about our former state and misery, like we said, it focuses on separation and distance, that we were far from God and far from his people. All the good things and all the blessings that come from knowing God, that come from being part of his people, they were not ours. It was a life marked by division and hostility. And division and hostility are ways the world teaches us to live. If you're living by the rules, world's rules, hostility and division can actually be quite useful tools. Right? If you're in a situation and the people around you are divided and hostile towards one another, and you know what you're doing, you can play those divisions off one another to get ahead. Like, have any of you ever seen the TV show Survivor? Okay, so if you don't know it, it's a popularity contest where a bunch of people are stuck on an island and every week one of them gets voted off and the last man standing gets a million US dollars, okay? And so people want to stay on the island because they want that million dollars. And so what do they do? They form alliances. So they know I have a group of people that has my back and they're split into tribes that are competing against one another. Within the tribes, there are these alliances, but then there's always that random person or two who don't have an alliance or who they're part of an alliance, but they realize like, I'm the low man on the totem pole in this alliance. If we 
get rid of the other guys, everyone in my group is going to turn on me and that's not going to be good. And so what do they do? They exploit the divisions and hostilities among the groups. They'll, they'll turn and get one group to support them, or they'll get half the guys from this group and half the guys from this group and form their own alliance. They'll use the division and hostility to their own advantage to play everyone else off one another so they can survive another week. That's a microcosm of how life by the world's rules works. If we have coworkers who are fighting, let's play them off one another to get ourselves ahead and put ourselves in the boss's good graces. How many rom-coms involve a couple who's together and then someone else splits them up so they can get together with one of the people in the couple? Right? This is how the world works. It's this way of living, it's in our bones. If we're living by the world's rules, we can use division and hostility to get the things we want. And so it's in our best interest to keep division going. Not only that, but division helps us feel better about ourselves and look down on others. Right? Barriers help us feel privileged so that we can look at other people and feel like we're better than them. Right? We, we build this wall and then we climb up the wall so we can look down at everyone else on the other side. The rich climb up and look down at the poor and say, I'm so much better than them because I have more money than them. But guess what? The poor stand on the other side and climb up and look down at the rich. And they say, I'm so much better than them. No one's ever given me anything in life like they have. I'm not soft. I'm not weak. I've worked hard for everything I have, unlike them. No matter which side of the barrier you're on, you use the barrier to look down on and judge the people on the other side. We use division and hostility to maneuver our ways into what we want and to look down on others so we can feel better about ourselves. And as long as division and hostility, the division and hostility that's been taught to us from the day we were born shapes the way we live our day-to-day -day lives, we're never going to experience this beautiful community that Paul wants us to live out as a church. The other thing we see in this passage has been hardwired into us through our discipleship to the world that gets in the way of this beautiful community is individualism and independence. Individualism and independence. Our world idolizes the self-made man or the self-made woman. It tells us, if you want to be strong, you have to be able to do things on your own. Don't rely on anyone else. And if we accept that message and that definition of success as true, it's going to rob us of this beautiful community. Because part of the narrative of individualism is it's okay to help others. It's never okay to ask for help. It's okay to help others. It's never okay to ask for help. But guess what? If none of us ever asks for help, there's no one else for the rest of the church community to help. Right? This, this picture of us all loving and serving one another sacrificially, it's a beautiful picture. I know we have a church full of people who, if they hear about a need of someone else in the church, we have people who are ready to come and help and serve and do whatever we can to, to help them. But are we good at asking for help? Our family just moved to a new flat right down the street. So we got a bunch of people from the church to come out and help us, which was awesome. Thank you to everyone who helped us with that process. It was such a blessing to have your help. But at one point during the move, one of the people who was helping made a comment. They were like, I love helping with stuff like this, but I feel like I never get to do it in Hong Kong because no one asks for help. We're all so focused on being so independent, we don't give each other a chance to show practical love to us. We're cutting people off from our real lives rather than inviting them in so that we can be built together. And if you're like, well, I need to be independent, 
I can't ask for help. Guess what? Independence is a myth. None of us is really independent. You think you're independent. Just think about the last meal you ate. Do you realize how many people you have to depend on to eat that food? There are farmers who planted crops and other people who harvested those crops and people who transported those crops and people who organized the logistics for the transportation and people in the food factories who combined the ingredients together to make them into whatever it was that you ate and then people who packaged them and then people who shipped them to your grocery store or to the restaurant and people who stocked them on the shelves, people who cooked them at the restaurant just for you to eat that one meal. You need to depend on dozens, if not hundreds of people. You are not independent. Or if you're stuck in quarantine for COVID and you don't have food stocked, you cannot independently provide food for yourself. Right? You need someone to get you food. It might be the food panda guy or the delivery guy that you order and pay. It might be a friend who does it as a favor for free. It doesn't matter. You need someone's help. You are not truly independent. It just feels a bit more culturally comfortable to use help from the guy we pay because then we can tell ourselves, I did this, I earned it. But it's still help. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong or sinful to order delivery, especially if you're in quarantine, don't take that away from this. But what, here's what I'm asking. Where in our lives is our need for independence keeping us from letting the church be a family to us? Where in our lives is our need for independence keeping the church from being a community to us? Where are we robbing the church of this true community that Paul wants for us by insisting on doing things ourselves? As long as we cling to this myth of independence, this idea that I need to do it myself, that I can't rely on anyone else, we're never ever gonna have the beautiful community that Paul portrays for us here. So then how do we get it? And Paul tells us in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what are we brought near to? We're brought near to God and to his people. We saw earlier, no matter how far we were from one another at the start, if we're all moving towards God, we can't help but also move closer to one another at the same time. And, and as, we, as Jesus deals with the walls and the barriers and the division and the hostility, and our individualism and independence. He tears down those walls that keep us from God. He tears down at the same time, the things that keep us from one another. In terms of division and hostility, Jesus, it says right here, he breaks down the barriers and he kills the hostility. Any barriers that keep us from each other also block us in our path to God. We're, if we're all getting to God, all the barriers that keep us from one another are removed as well. And this happens on such a deep level, us being brought together and connected to one another and having our divisions taken away that Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus is creating in himself one new man in place of the two. Jesus give, is giving us a new way to be human, a new type of humanity that we get to be part of as the church. And just to clarify, this doesn't mean our differences are wiped out. We're still different but our differences are no longer barriers and walls that keep us from one another. We're different, but we're not divided anymore because of our differences. You can think of it like different parts of a body. An eye is different than a hand, but the eye doesn't look down on the hand because of that. 
The body is actually stronger because they're different. The eye cannot fully do what it's meant to do unless it has a hand to reach for things and grab things. That's what differences in the church are supposed to be like. They're things that make us stronger, that pull us together. We in the church, we are stronger when we have young and old, when we have rich and poor, when we have a variety of ethnic backgrounds and different political views. That actually makes us stronger as a church because we're gonna have different strengths and abilities. I'm gonna be weak in an area where one of you is strong. And when I'm struggling in that area, you're gonna be able to help me. That's a blessing. The work of Jesus takes our liability of division and hostility and turns it into an asset of us having lots of different skills and abilities and passions that we can use to love and support one another. And this good news about what Jesus has done, it also deals with our individualism and independence. Because as we saw last week, there's nothing we can do in our own power to earn our salvation. We all need help. We need way more than help. We need complete rescue. If we are Christians, that means we are people who have admitted, confessed publicly, I cannot do life on my own. We've seen that we can't make it through life independently. We need Jesus. And asking other Christians for help in the practical realities of day-to-day life is a further outworking of that truth that I can't do life on my own. It's really just living out the reality that we've already admitted about ourselves that I can't do it. Trusting in Jesus for salvation and relying on the church as a family to help us get through life, they're not disconnected things. It's separate steps in the same process. Do you ever realize all the limitations, all the things that you can't do, that you feel like you need to overcome? Do you know where those came from? God designed you to be limited and finite. God designed you not to be able to do life on your own. God designed you to need help from him and from other people. And why did he do that? So you could learn to depend on him and so you could learn to depend on the church. Asking other Christians in the church for help with the realities of life, it's connected in the same process as trusting in Jesus to rescue us and save us. It's continuing to trust in God and the provision that he's given us. See, when we truly understand the gospel, this good news that God saves people like us who are spiritually dead and makes us alive, it sets us free to live out the reality of the community that God wants us to be. But that only comes through us being connected to Jesus. If we try to manufacture this type of beautiful community on our own effort, it's gonna crash and burn. Because one of two things is gonna happen. We're gonna do it really well and we're gonna feel so good about ourselves and we're gonna feel proud and we're gonna look down on others and we've just built another wall. Or we're gonna do poorly. We're gonna feel bad about ourselves. We're gonna get down on ourselves. We're gonna feel the need to hide in shame. And we're gonna pull away from and disconnect from this community. It's only when we understand that in Jesus, we have nothing in ourselves to put forward as making us worthy of God. And yet God values us infinitely. That God himself has brought us into this community. That God himself is the one who's making up for all our deficiencies. That's what's gonna empower us to to live out this reality that we are a house for God to live in. We are a new family. Jesus is the cornerstone of this house, the the primary foundation stone that all the lines for the house are drawn from. 
If we try and build it on anything else, it will not stand. I think this quote from Professor Klein Snodgrass summarizes the reason for this so beautifully. He says, the cross is the place where barriers are destroyed. Before the cross, we know our own sin, and we cannot stand there without realizing all of us are without defense and have no claim on God. No one has higher value than anyone else. The ground at the cross is level. Any standing we have is God-given, not something that inherently makes us better than others. How do you feel when you read that? Does that make you feel a little bit warm and fuzzy inside? Like this could really happen. This could really be the case. But you know where this gets really hard, living out this reality? When it moves from a cool idea in a sermon to something that impacts our real life. When after service, someone comes up to you and says, I'm, I'm having a real life struggle and I need help. Maybe it's a drinking problem, just as an example. I'm having problems with my drinking. I need accountability. I need support. And you know what's going to happen? If you don't struggle with that same thing, our natural tendency inside us, all of us, is to see a new wall, a new barrier, something that we can use to look down on them because we're better than them. To completely forget the truth of this quote, that the ground is level at the cross, that we have nothing to stand on to look down on them, and to actually look down on them. That's our natural tendency to judge, to feel superior, to look down in order to get to the place where we feel like this is actually utterly true and where that is the primary reality shaping our community. It takes lots of work and patience. It's going to take time to get to this place. But if the gospel is true, if God has really made us alive, if God's really formed us into a community of people for himself that we get to be part of, that's a new family, that's a new way of being human, if God's really uniting all things in Christ, then this beautiful picture of the church as a family and a temple for God, it's one that's absolutely worth fighting for. And it's probably going to be a process of like two steps forward, one step back. But we can have hope to endure because we know the end of the story is all things being united in Christ. This, this picture that Paul paints for us today isn't some reality that we have to conjure up through our effort. It's a reality that God has made real and we get to live in it. Success rests on God's shoulders, not ours. He's the one who's going to see it through to completion. And so even when we try and fail, we can keep going and try again because God is the one who builds his church. God is the one who's making us into the people that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of the church that you've given to us today, of, of us as a family, of us being built together into your building, of us being able to love and support one another. And God, I pray that that would be not just a spiritual reality in the bridge, but a physical reality in the bridge. I pray that we would be a church that's willing to be vulnerable and share about our needs and struggles with one another. I pray that we'd be a church that isn't defined by the divisions and walls that our world puts up, but that is defined by the peace that we have in Jesus. Help us to love one another in practical, tangible ways each day. In Jesus' name, amen.